Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Today we are kicking off a brand new series that we are calling Surviving South Florida. I'm excited about this series. Okay, We're going to be taking a look at, let's just call it issues, that we here in South Florida, in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, you know, Tri-County area, if you will, are struggling with most. All right, And our goal is to see what God has to say about these issues and then learn how to apply his truths into our circumstances so that we don't just survive, we actually thrive. So what I want to do today uh, as we kind of kick off, I want to look at an issue, topic, if you will, that according to the latest statistics, 49% of Broward County is dealing with. Um, the, this is a, a, an issue that is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. This is something that folks are dealing with daily. Many of you I know are, are dealing with this. And so to kick off, we just have to have a conversation about dating, okay? This is what we got. So now dating is often considered to be a young person's game, okay? Not in South Florida, okay? And not according to the statistics I saw, okay? All you got to do is go to like Boatyard on a Thursday night. You've been there, okay? Ladies night. And you will see that the Fort Lauderdale dating scene is loaded with folks above the age of 50. I've been there. Okay? I've seen ladies' night. It, it's, it's like watching a mating ritual, like a Nat Geo. <laughs> Let me see if I can describe to you kind of what I saw. All these men, let's, let's start the men, in their 50s and, and their 60s, they show up wearing what I like to call the official uniform of single men of Fort Lauderdale. That is the Robert Graham shirt. And <laughs> okay. Ladies, if you see this shirt, you know that guy is single and ready to mingle, all right? This is like, he is primed and ready. A lot of you probably have this. Okay, so this guy with this shirt or some variation of this shirt with the sleeve rolled up once, okay, he posts up at the bar, okay? Then the ladies descend, all right? Nobody's foreheads are moving. <laughs> like A couple of martinis and mistakes later, everyone wakes up disappointed only to do it again next Thursday night. Now, I'm not saying this is you, okay? But I am saying this is someone in our city, and that it's probably also you. So in preparation, <laughs> in preparation for this sermon, I wanted to do a little bit of research with our particular church, finding out what the single folks are, are dealing with. And, and so last week, and I may have asked you, but last week I asked a bunch of them, I said, okay, tell me, what is your biggest struggle when it comes to dating? And every single person I asked laughed. That was like their initial reaction. It was like, bah! Okay. Well, it doesn't matter if they were 25 or in their 60s, they all laughed because they're all struggling. And they are exhausted. And they are discouraged with, with the dating, city, uh, dating scene in this city. Now, interestingly enough, most of them said that their biggest struggle was, in fact, dating apps. Okay? The, w this is really the only way you're going to meet people now these days, they were saying. And yet these apps actually make it more difficult. People are not genuine on it. Right? There you go. They're using pictures from like 10 years ago. This one lady who's in her 60s, she was like, you know, I swiped right and this guy looked nice. And when he showed up, he was wearing a, he had a walker. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that was, not that it's a problem, but like that was not in the picture, my man. <laughs> now, what's worse is like the folks that like you're talking to, you feel like they're also talking to like five other people, they would say. So, you know, every, you feel like one of many options for this person. Now, the best answer that I got when I asked folks, what is your biggest struggle? One, one girl said, you know, honestly, it's having to take a shower. It's just like, and I feel that, right? The thought of having to 
take a shower and put on clothes and, and leave the house. Just a nightmare. The big question that everybody really is asking when they are dating is, how do I find the right person? How do I find Mr. Right? How do I find my, my dream girl? This is the question that culture has kind of programmed us to ask. I would say our culture is obsessed with this question. I mean, think about it. How many reality TV shows are based on finding the right person? Every rom-com, every Hallmark movie, it's all about finding the right person. Some of the most memorable quotes from movies are about finding the right person. Like the best example that I can think of, and you're going to know this one if you're a certain age group, Jerry Maguire, what did he say? Remember? You complete me, right? You complete me. Gosh, we love that, don't we? How romantic. You complete me. Don't you just want somebody to whisper that in your ear? Finding the right person is everybody's goal, okay? Now, here's the thing. If you open up the Bible, let's say you're a Christian, and you open up the Bible, and you go looking for an answer to the question as to how do I find the right person, you're not going to find an answer, okay? You could scour the Scripture. I'm talking Old Testament, New Testament, maps, index, okay? Looking for an answer to the question, how do I find the right person? The scripture will be silent. That is why today I'm going to suggest that you start asking a different question, a better question, really what amounts to being a more important question. Instead of asking, how do I find the right person? I suggest you start asking, how do I become the right person? Because when you ask this question to God's word, it comes alive. See, culture has trained us to ask, how do I find the right person? But how is that working for you? Okay? I'm going to suggest that if we want different results in our dating life, that we actually start focusing on becoming the right person. Now, my old pastor, he would say to single folks, he says, focus on becoming the right person, and God will bring you the right person. And i got to be honest with you, when I was in the audience as a single guy and I heard this, that impacted me. I mean, it did. It, it really changed the way that I thought about things and on the trajectory of my life for the better. Now that I'm a pastor and I'm the one with the microphone, got to be honest with you, I am not as comfortable speaking on behalf of what God will or won't do in your life. But I can tell you this, becoming the right person will dramatically increase your odds of having a healthy and godly relationship when you finally do meet the right person. So how do you become the right person? Well, Paul actually gives us some great advice in what is famously called the love chapter of the Bible. If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard some of this today. And in this chapter, Paul is going to give us what I'm going to call our become list. Okay, If you want to become the right person, here's the things you're going to want to start working on. He charts out, here's what love is, here's what love looks like. And so what I'm suggesting today to you single folks in the room is that you take this list and you internalize this list and you practice this list. Every time you're on a date, in every conversation you're having with somebody who kind of shows some promise, practice this list. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole list with you today because I want to get to something else as well. I'm going to show you a couple just to kind of give you a little taste of what the Bible has to say. So Paul begins, and he says this. He says, love is patient. What is patience? Patience is the decision to move at someone else's pace, right, rather than pressuring them to match yours. Love never pressures the other person. Love creates as much time and as much space as that other person needs. So if you're in a relationship and, and you're just being pushed 
and pressured and pushed and pressured. Let me tell you something. That person is not loving you, okay? I'm not saying they don't love you. I'm just saying they're not loving you, and there is a difference there. If that person you're with is pressuring you and pushing you to, you know, make some kind of a commitment or to speed things up or to do something that you're not comfortable with, that person is not loving you. That person is not letting you move at your own pace. So Paul says when it comes to our relationships, you got to be patient. Here's the problem. Patience doesn't come naturally, okay? We are naturally impatient people, okay? And what happens is we assume that our pace, right, our personal pace, uh, the pace that we live our lives, the pace in which we make decisions, the pace in which we want to see relationships unfold, the pace in, you know, all, it is the pace by which all other paces, you know, should be judged. Paul says, slow down. Slow down. Instead of pushing, hit the pause button. So what do you do with that? You practice patience. In every relationship, on every date, in every interaction, you practice patience. Paul goes on. He says love is kind. To be kind is really to leverage one strength on behalf of another. It's taking everything you are, everything you have, and putting it at the disposal of someone else. Kindness in its purest form really is unconditional, right? It is not a means to an end. Don't be kind in order to get something in return. The goal of kindness is to benefit the person to whom it is extended. So single people, start cultivating kindness now while you're dating so that when you find the right person, you're going to be so kind they don't even know what hit them, okay? Paul continues. Love does not envy. Oof. This, I, I've seen this destroy all kinds of relationships. Many of you who have come from divorced families saw your parents split up because of this. Envy is insecurity. It is. And when insecurity surfaces in a relationship, it is ugly, it is petty, it is destructive. You know what envy says? Envy says, I don't feel good about me, so I can't let you feel too good about yourself, right? So I'm, so I'm going to tear you down, I'm going to drag you down, I'm going to drag you down. Envy manifests as sarcasm, as criticism, as public disrespect. There's nothing more uncomfortable than watching a couple publicly disrespect each other. So I'm just going to say this, okay? Many of us, because of how we were raised or what we may have seen growing up, we got this problem. We, we got this insecurity. And, and unless you let God work in your life now, I'm just telling you, you're going to drag it into future relationships. Paul continues. He says, love does not boast and is not proud. Again, pride absolutely can decimate a relationship. There's nothing more exhausting than a prideful person. Some of you grew up in homes with a prideful parent, didn't you? If your dad had pride, he could never admit that he was wrong. Maybe mom had pride, always had to get the last word in, right? And, it, and it, just the two, it just destroyed the intimacy in that marriage. And you saw it unfold with your very eyes. But the hard thing about boasting, about pride, about envy, this what I'm going to call toxic trio of insecurity, is that these things are not easy to see in the mirror. Very easy to see in someone else. Difficult to see in yourself. So single people, pay attention. 
with your, in, you know, as to your internal reactions to other people? Are you quick to celebrate someone else? Or are you quick to tear them down? Are you comfortable letting somebody else have the spotlight? Or do you scramble for attention? Do you find that you're always trying to one-up somebody else or get the last word in? These right here are not what I would call attractive qualities. So Paul suggests getting them under control now before you find the right person. One last one, then we're going to do something different. Paul says, love, it does not dishonor others. Meaning, when you date, you never create regret. That you never do anything that would make somebody else regret meeting you, answering your text, swiping right, picking up the phone, meeting you for a drink, going out for a meal. In other words, you don't behave disgracefully, indecently, or inappropriately. Now, that sounds like common sense, okay? But unfortunately, this type of behavior is just all too common in the dating scene. Paul goes on to outline more things that we can do if we want to become the right person. I don't have time to cover it all today. So single people, I got some homework for you. Go home and read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Because if you're looking to become the right person, this is your list. Master this list. Then go find someone cute who's also mastered this list, and you will probably live happily ever. Okay, what would it look like for us to say, God, I'm not just searching for the right person. I want to become the right person. So let's shift gears real quick, ever so slightly. Because we've got to talk about one more thing, okay? And, and to be honest with you, this wouldn't be a sermon unless we had the talk. No. Let me be honest with you. I don't really want to talk about this, okay? I am an awkward person in general. Some pastors love to talk about this. I'm not one of them. Now, you know what the talk is, right? And you don't want to talk about it either. So let me make a deal with you, all right? If you let me have the talk, here's the deal. We don't have to look at each other, okay? Just, I mean, I can't really see it anyway. I know it looks like I, I can't really see it, but like you don't have to look at me. You can look down. Afterwards, we don't have to talk about it, but just... But, but if we truly want God's help, and I know we do when it comes to dating, then we have to talk about sex. Because when it comes to dating, especially in South Florida, sex is on the menu. I told my wife that I was going to have to talk about sex, and she was like, I can't go to church. <laughs> I can't go. I was just, I will just die. But she's here right now. And so if you could just grab her corpse afterwards and kind of push it off to the side, we would appreciate that. You can push it that way because you all got to go this way. So... When it comes to sex, okay, I think the vast majority of people really do believe that God hates sex. Now, do me a favor. Don't take a picture of this slide. I, I know a lot of you take pictures of the slides for your notes or for the social media, and we appreciate it. Don't do it this one, okay? I don't want this picture taken out of context because they're not going to be here for this conversation. Okay. A lot of the world really, truly, honestly believes that God hates sex, most likely because of how the church, if you will, has handled that discussion. Now, what you may not realize is that God created sex. He designed it. I actually like to imagine when God kind of first pitched the idea for sex, you know, he kind of grabbed Jesus, couple of angels, brought him into his office, rolls out the blueprint for what he's going to call sex. Angels look at it and they're like, I'm sorry, they're going to put what, where? <laughs> God's like, trust me, they're going to love it. <laughs> they're going to... It's going to get him into all, all kinds of trouble. So God is not against sex. God is for sex. And God is for you. 
which is why God has created a specific plan for sex and your life. That plan, however, many of us just scoff at. We turn our noses up at it. I saw a great meme the other week, and I had to take a screenshot and show you. Guy said, uh, you know, it's not premarital sex if you never get married. Follow me for more biblical loopholes. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I thought that was great. I gave it a little heart. When it comes to sex, I'll just tell you this. Many Christians are the masters of loopholes. I've heard them all, okay? Uh, I've heard all the reasons as to why it's fine for you to have sex before marriage, okay? Why it's okay, like why God's okay with your situation. It's always like, hey, he knows my situation. Really, how do you know? And in spite of what you may be telling yourself, the Bible is crystal clear. There's just no, there's no getting around it. Sex is reserved for marriage. Moses speaks of this. Jesus speaks of this. Paul speaks of this. There is just, we, there's no getting around it. And listen, we're friends, okay? And I know you don't want to hear this. I know some of you don't want to believe this. I know you want to fight back against this with everything in you, but listen, listen. I would be doing you a disservice. I would actually be lying to you. I would be deceiving you. I would be leading you astray if I didn't say this to you. Now, what you do with this, that's between you and God. I'm going to love you no matter what, okay? You're always welcome here at this church. So let's actually talk about sex for a second. Let me start off by saying this. Sex complicates things. You know this, and I know this, okay? When you add sex into a relationship, it just completely changes the dynamic of that relationship. One of the biggest problems that I see when it comes to sex outside of marriage, when it comes to sex and our dating life, is that sex actually camouflages red flags. Sex has a power to blind you to like an endless list of relational dysfunction. Sex causes you to exaggerate the good in somebody else. Sex causes you to, to, to minimize and turn a blind eye to the bad. It causes you to just ignore red flags, things that would normally give you pause. And chances are, when you're in these relationships, you would have dealt with these red flags sooner had you not been physically involved. I once heard someone say, sex is like glue. Yeah, you, should, you should only apply it when you're absolutely sure you want to stick two things together permanently. Because when you apply it too soon, you're going to have a mess on your hands when you realize your mistake. Now, here's the other thing I see when it comes to sex and, and relationships. We actually tend to think that sex helps develop a relationship. That's like taking the next step. Like we're, da- we, like we're dating, he's cute, she's cute, we have fun, it's been a few dates, I don't know how fast you move, but it's been a few dates, it's been a couple of weeks, we really like each other. This feels like it's going somewhere. So, we're going to take it to the next level. We're going to have sex, right? We see sex as the progression of a relationship. That by adding sex, we're actually developing this relationship. The irony is that sex actually inhibits relational development. Sex, you're not going to hear this one either, and living together slow down and hinder the growth of relationships. Why? Because you're already pretending to be married. When couples have sex and they move in, often relationships slow down. They stop progressing. That engagement you want keeps dragging out. (laughs) That wedding keeps dragging out. 
sex and living together has stolen the magic. It's actually had the opposite effect that you told yourself it would have. Now here's something else we tell ourselves. Sex is just physical. But sex is more than physical, way more. And you know this. There's more to sex because there's more to you. You are more than a body. You're a you, okay? I'm like Dr. Seuss. You have a heart. You have a mind. You have a soul, okay? And, and, and while sex is a beautiful gift from God when used according to his plans, sex, when detached from his divine design, really has the power to destroy. Paul said something, and I saw it this week, and I, I got to show these folks because this is, this is you got to see this. Paul says this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Other translations say, run. Now, what is sexual immorality? Paul defines it in the very next chapter. He calls it sex outside of marriage. Now, watch what he says next, because this is going to blow your mind. All other sins, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul is saying that sexual sin is like no other sin. Not because God hates it more. Not because God will judge you more harshly for it. Not because it will send you to hell. Not because God won't forgive you for it. Not because God will condemn you forever. Paul is saying sexual sin is like no other sin because when you sin sexually, you hurt you. And not only do you hurt yourself, you hurt yourself at the deepest level imaginable. Sometimes you hurt yourself to such a level that in some cases you will carry that hurt for the rest of your life. Paul is saying when we ignore God's plan for sex, when we rip sex out of the context for which it was divinely designed, it has the power to turn your life upside down. But what do we say? We say, well, it's just sex. It's natural, right? Just two consenting adults, we're having fun. We're not hurting anybody, right? Nobody's getting hurt. Paul says, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. It's damaging your self-esteem. It is poisoning future relationships. You are hurting you, and God loves you. He goes on. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? No, I didn't realize that. I thought my body was my body, and, I, and, and, and God lived in heaven, and I could do whatever I wanted with my body, and if I feel guilty, I can you know, go to church and ask for forgiveness. Paul's like, guys, no, stop, no. Holy Spirit lives in you. Then he drops a bomb. He says, you are not your own. Now that pushes up against everything that we've been telling ourselves. Your body, Paul is saying, it's not your body. Because if you're a Christian, and he's talking to Christians right now, all of you belongs to God, not just your soul. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You were redeemed. You were restored. You, you were made new. And that price was Jesus' death on the cross. That's heavy. That's convicting. At least it should be. So what do we do with that as a single person? Whether we're 25 or 65, whether we've never been married, whether we're divorced, what are we, what are we, what are we, what do we do with this truth when you're trying to date in South Florida? Paul tells us. He says, therefore, honor God with your body. You want to know how to manage your sexuality? You want to know how to manage your, your sexual behavior? You honor God with your body. Listen, the Bible is 
not going to tell you how to find the right person. But it can speak volumes about how to become the right person while you're looking. So that when you finally do meet that special someone, you will be ready for a healthy and godly relationship. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? First time here at this church, every single week, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I'll just say this. Today is not necessarily an easy day. Okay? We tried to have some fun, but it's... Paul hit us with some real truths. Okay? And he also gave us some incredible wisdom. And the question really is, what are you going to do with it? Will you listen to him, what Scripture has to say? Will you trust him? Will you do something different? Or will you just go back to doing whatever it is you did before? Now, based on everything we've kind of talked about today, here, here's what I want to leave you with. I know that you want to find somebody. That you, want, you, want, you want to find something real. You want to find something genuine, someone genuine, something that can bring you true happiness. I want that for you too. But here's what I also know, at least for some of you. You're frustrated. Maybe you're even a little scared. Because some of you have been searching for someone for a long time. And, and, you, and you start thinking to yourself, something's got to change. I know you want to find something and find someone, but don't lose yourself in the process. What I mean is don't change who you are or, 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 or what you believe or what you stand for in order to find someone. Because what I see happen far too often, far too often, is Christians, people who really love the Lord, who are burned out on dating, who are frustrated because they haven't found that person yet, decide that something's got to change. So what do they do? They lower their standards. And they treat their love life like a sinking ship. And they start throwing things overboard to save it. And they say things like, well, I know I'm a Christian. And, and you know what? I said that I wanted to date somebody who also loved Jesus, but then we throw it overboard. You know, I, I believe that God has a plan for, for sex, and, 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 and I believe that we should save for marriage. And, and I've waited. I've waited. But over the side. And in an effort to find someone, we've slowly lost ourselves. We, we've jeopardized everything that we stand for. But the scripture is saying, and you saw it today, there's a better way. That while you search for that special someone, you can become someone better. What Paul is doing, he's actually challenging you to raise your standards <laughs> when the dating scene is looking difficult. The question is, do you trust God enough to do it? For the longest time, we've been asking, how do I find the right person? Let's start asking, how do I become the right person? Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I would argue that your best invention was love. And so many of us are on the hunt to find that, God. To find that special someone that we can share life with, Lord. And it's not easy at times. And it's a real struggle at other times, God. But I pray today that those of us in this room who are on that journey, that you would be with them. 
that you would challenge them in what areas of life that they need to be challenged. Maybe they need to start doing something more. Maybe there's something they have to stop doing. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you empower them by the Holy Spirit to follow your lead, to listen to your advice on what it looks like to become the right person so that if and when, Lord, according to your will, you bring someone into their life, they are ready for it. And we, of course, will give you all the thanks and glory. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name.